Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's time for another episode of Last Drinks, a podcast where we have conversations for the sober and the sober curious, hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hello, fam bam. Welcome to another episode of Last Drinks. How good is the new intro? Did you notice it? It's a, we've done a couple of tweaks on the intro, and I want to thank my wonderful and talented production mastermind, Darcy Milne, for slapping that together for me. Um, Darcy, you're, you're an absolute legend. Thanks, buddy. Okay, a little bit of admin. Um, first of all, I want to read out a message that I received um, from Tracy. Thank you, Tracy, for reaching out. Tracy says, this book is amazing, Maz. Thank you. I am currently doing Dry July and thought this is a good time to educate myself on exactly what you talk about in your book. I know I don't want alcohol in my life the way it was. I am that gray area drinker and often have anxiety. I think this book will give me the tools and courage to stay sober or at least make better choices when it comes to alcohol. Thanks, Tracy. That's exactly why I wrote the book. Um, and I hope that it does give you the tools to redefine alcohol in your life and figure out how it's either going to fit in or not be in it at all. So thank you. I'm so grateful that this book is connecting with you. The book is called Last Drinks. It's available in all good bookshops around Australia. For my US friends, it's available in Barnes & Noble across America and very soon I will be releasing the audio book. In fact, within a matter of days. So I'll keep you posted on that if you're more of a listener and less of a reader. And I'm guessing if you listen to a podcast, then you probably might enjoy the audio book. So stand by for that. The other bit of cool news that I have is I'm, I'm cooking something up. I'm cooking something up, guys. Um, I've, had, I've had a lot of people reach out and go... Like, can you do a course or something for us? And so there's, you know, there's the Sober 30 plan in the book, Last Drinks. But I am putting together a program for you with my wonderful friend, Lindy Cohen. Um, it's all kind of happening at the moment behind the scenes. So if you want to know any more information, you can jump on the wait list. And as soon as we have new information to share, you'll be the first to know about it. So the wait list um, is on my website. Go to mazcompton.com on the landing page there. You'll see um, the picture of myself and Lindy. Um, click to join the wait list and then you'll be on that list and then you'll get a heads up when it's all happening. The It's going to be like an audio program. It's going to be available from October Lindy will be on the podcast at the end of September and we'll sort of talk you guys exactly through the process, how we came up with all of the modules. Um, and it's very much directed by the questions that you guys have been asking that you want 
real practical tools to answer and to help. So we are going to try and, I guess, answer all of those pain points that you have when it comes to assessing your relationship with alcohol, taking a break. What do you say to people? How do you go out to dinner? How do you go on a date without booze? We're going to answer it all for you and bundle it up in this beautiful little package, or big package actually. Um, So that's what we're working on and I'm really excited about sort of the next iteration of Last Drinks. We've got the podcast, you know, there's a new episode every Monday. I've got this book now that is really practical that I'm getting, you know, into the hands of so many people that are keen to change their relationship with alcohol. And now there's this other thing that I'm really excited about putting together and putting out into the world. So stand by, um, watch this space. Okay, that's all the admin Let's get to the podcast. This week's episode is with Gabriella Flax. You can follow her on Instagram. Her handle is at notapplicabledrinks. Gabriella's last drink story is absolutely bonkers. Um, I cannot wait for you to hear it. She is so wise. She has some really great insights to share about how she made sobriety work for her. Um, But as I said, her last drink story, which we kick off with, is just you are not even going to believe it. We also go on a bit of a deep dive into the world of conspiracy theories of the Denver airport. If that's not your thing, you can probably tune out in the last four minutes of our chat. Um, If it is your thing, stick around because she's been to Denver airport. Okay, have a wonderful week ahead and enjoy Last Drinks with Gabriella Flax. Live from London. I've always wanted to say that. Uh (laughs) Gabriella Flax, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's an absolute pleasure. Let's get stuck in. Can you please tell me about your last drink? I sure can. So I'll set the scene. It's December 31st, 2021. So around 19 months ago, actually to the day, 19 months ago. And I was at home with my family in Wyoming. It's New Year's Eve, having a big party. I was on my seventh espresso martini and seventh that I could remember. And it had been a big day of drinking, kind of started early in the morning, descended from champagne at breakfast into different shots at lunch, kind of big day of celebration. And I actually have a photo of myself with that final drink and was looking back at it this morning on that kind of 19 month anniversary. And why it was so impactful is I was flying back to London the next morning. So I was flying international, had had way too much to drink that night. Somewhere along that December 31st, I decided it was a good idea to upgrade myself to first class on my flight home. And I didn't remember it. And so you can imagine my surprise when I get to the Denver airport. And I tell the guy at the British Airways counter and said, because I was in economy. And I said, I don't know what it's going to cost. Put me in premium economy, 11 hour flight. I got to do it. And he goes, why would you want to upgrade to premium economy when you're already in first? And that was the day that I wiped out a large portion of my savings and I didn't look back. That was, I'd already been sober curious. I kind of obviously had a bad New Year's Eve. And I just really looked at that moment and said, I'm flying back home across the ocean. I have just spent thousands of dollars on a plane ticket that I don't remember even spending the money on. 
I wasn't even a big drinker. I was like, what came over me? Like, what got me to this point where I thought that this is how I wanted to be acting at 26 years old? And that was it. And it's been 19 months to today. Um, haven't looked back. Did look at that photo of me with the espresso martini this morning, but um, couldn't. Yeah. That, that story. Do you know what? I want to actually, before I tell you, just my thoughts on when I hear your story. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel when you look at that photo now? Like I, what's the yeah. overwhelming feeling that comes over you? The overwhelming feeling that comes over me right now, it's actually, I think, pride to a certain extent because when I look at that photo and I look at who I was 19 months ago versus the person that is sitting with you here now, I just can't imagine and I can't actually... It, regard that the person here today is me and that those are the same people and I look at the girl on that photo and she lacked confidence and she had big dreams for herself and didn't feel like she could accomplish them because she didn't have the self-trust and kind of connection with herself to go out and do what she wanted to do in life and now I just look at it and go oh my gosh like I've done that I've transformed my life over the last almost two years and what an incredible gift It's so amazing when you can, it's almost like you disassociate from Mm -hmm. that person that you were, even though she's you and she led you here and here is the gift. But in a way, like without her, you don't get this. And I, I just, I just love, first of all, I love that you have a photo. What a time capsule of Mm -hmm. like the line in the sand for you was so clear also such a rock star ballsy move to like <laughs> have essentially you started sobriety in first class like that is what a way yeah. to start man and and usually i'm assuming in first class the champagne gets you know like handed out before takeoff mm-hmm. and it's like all the bells and whistles and and you were just there going this is this is sobriety for me, man. Like I'm, yeah. I'm done, and I'm, I'm flying away from that girl so far and so fast. And like that, I mean, did you when you realize like at the that's something out of a movie? Someone's yeah. going to write a movie about this. So you get to the British Airways counter, yeah. and then when they told you you had upgraded to first, did you have any recollection, or did you just think? oh, I obviously have done this. So it's really funny. The person that I was with on New Year's Eve, one of my friends, an absolute best friend still to this day, we'd had an inside joke for years of how funny would it be if we've just (laughs) booked a holiday and we just show up and we had such a crazy night before that we upgraded ourselves to first or to business class and just had the most extravagant start to our vacation. Maz, I didn't think I was actually going to go and do that. Like in real life, it was always this inside joke. And then I saw the inner workings of my imagination playing out at the Denver airport. I had such a headache. I could not see straight. And I was like, I I just brought that imagination to reality. It was never meant to get to this point. And the fact that it did, something's got to change here. So yeah, it was... I want to say you you manifested it. Like it <laughs> feels like they're the kinds of things that people manifest for yeah. their lives. Not necessarily like let's get so out of our brains drunk that we do something really outrageous. But the mm-hmm. idea that you 
fantasized with your bestie about yeah. this incident and then it it unfolded is just it's wild to me so i'm sure the flight was um what 11 hours of remorse and and just feeling bad like what was what was that flight or were you on that flight you know already thinking about life when you touch down in london and how we're yeah. turning a new page and we've rounded a corner and it's it's all, you know, it's all systems go in a different direction from here on in. So it's really interesting. Before this all happened on the 31st, I had been sober curious already for a year. I had a pretty stark introduction to sobriety in the sense that I was never a massive drinker. I'd consider myself a gray area drinker um, socially during university. But what really kind of happened to me earlier actually that year is unfortunately my grandmother had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and I'd had a phone call with her and she didn't remember who I was and that moment while sad actually was the first I say that was the first gift the British Airways flight was the second gift but that was the moment that put me into this awareness and I was 26 at the time of the fragility of health and the fragility of our life. And I had fortunately been healthy until Mm -hmm. that point in my life. And I'd never once thought about the concept of my health. I thought it was something that you dealt with later on. And there I was seeing my Mm -hmm. grandmother who I loved dearly, not remembering me. And it put me into sponge mode to learn everything about alcohol's impact on the brain. I got highly, highly interested in the science behind it. I got really into health and fitness and I was like, I'm not sure that I'm ready to be fully sober, but let's try out the sober curious thing. Mm. I'd already been in that mindset for a year and just something about New Year's Eve and the celebration of it and being with my friends and I was with my family, it just got out of control. And that was really my rock bottom moment because I had all this knowledge that I had onboarded and I was already practicing and figuring out how to be sober in your 20s. And I just had this moment, Mm. I was like, what am I doing? So when I sat on that flight, probably somewhere over Iceland at this point, I was like, when the wheels go down, we're going to implement what we learned. We're going to implement what we know is going to make us feel better. We know better than than to be behaving like this, especially when you know that Alzheimer's runs in your family and you're from the same blood, Mm. right? Like that's potentially what could be coming towards me later in life. Absolutely. And I think at 26 years old, you're very switched on because- at 26, I am I feel like if I were faced with a similar incident, I would just go, meh, what? like w- what you said, like I deal with, I'll deal with my health stuff when it catches mm-hmm. up to me down the track. So, you know, good on you for just seeing that as a signpost. And you've also just touched on something, Gabriella, that I've not really entertained the thought of, but makes perfect sense. And when I get asked about, what sober curiosity is my response usually is along the lines of it's it's questioning your relationship with alcohol in various iterations and questioning your behavior but you've mentioned that you kind of went on this exploration of the science behind alcohol and what it does to our brain and i think that that is a part of sober curiosity that i haven't really touched on but it's so relevant that Mm -hmm. the exploration of what does this substance do to my brain why does it make me act funny why do I get hung over what is going on here 
all of those questions in a scientific fact, in a scientific sense for our physiology and yeah. actually asking those questions and seeking those answers, all of that like groundwork that you did has set you up for a win in sobriety. Absolutely. And I think that that is all a part of the sober curiosity movement. It's not just asking questions about why am I drinking? That's important. It's also asking questions like, what is alcohol doing to my brain? That's such an important question to go and discover an answer for yourself for. And I similarly, when I started writing my book, I kind of got ground. I really wanted to to ground it in science because um, I'm, you know, a bit of a science nerd over here. Mm-hmm. And so I spoke to a neuroscientist and my conversation with her was mind-blowing for me because I'd never considered the impact that alcohol was having on my brain, even though I knew it, it informed my choices, it informed my behavior. And both of those things weren't working for me, but that all happens in our brain, right? Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing I've noticed and you know, you can read the science and some of the science, fortunately, it's becoming much more accessible. And there's so many incredible podcasts and things that you can listen to if that's how you learn better rather than trying to digest, you know, really kind of scientific and technical jargon around different studies. But simplistically, what I saw, I saw the science happening to me. I felt my brain work faster. Mm. And when you think about what alcohol does on the brain, it is slowing down the speed at which your neurons are firing. That is your ability to process. That's logical and rational thinking. Like You're faced with a split decision. And yeah, we talk all the time about fight or flight, but the speed at which your brain makes those decisions is directly linked to how quickly you can process information. And we know that alcohol slows the brain down. And just from doing that, I was like, okay, that's fight or flight, but now let's take it to the workplace. If I am doing a live presentation and someone's asking me questions and I'm doing Q&A at the end, I want to be able to really internalize that question, look at my Rolodex of information and access the best answer that's going to solve that problem or answer that question for the person. And I found that when I was going out for after work drinks on Tuesday night, thinking like, oh, a beer at 730, I'll be home by nine, I'll be in bed, I'll still get my eight hours, maybe I'll even go to the gym in the morning. But then I'm at... 3 p.m. Wednesday doing my presentation. And I'm like, why am I foggy? I've done everything right. I got eight hours of sleep. I went to the gym. I had my coffee. I ate my high protein breakfast. Why am I still not firing on all cylinders here? And when I remembered that alcohol stays in the brain and stays in the body for over seven days, doesn't matter if you drink on Friday, you can be midway through your week and your body is still working overtime to rid of the toxins that you've ingested. You're asking your body to spend Mm. energy that could be going to your brain to process things quicker, to be a little bit more snappy. You're asking it to give that energy to other parts of your body to detox and to rid of the substance that you've put in. And I just wasn't happy with using my finite amounts of energy in that way anymore. And aren't our brains so clever how we have this amazing ability to convince ourselves that we've done the checklist and so Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense because you had your eight hours, you went to the gym, you had a protein shake, like you've ticked all of those boxes that in, you know, the ideal wellness world set you up for a win for the day. But alcohol disrupts, like it is, it disrupts every system in your body. And so it makes that 
wellness checklist completely redundant, but it takes, I think, a really long time. I say to people, you know, you're ready to get sober when you're ready to get sober and not a second before because you almost have to have this penny drop moment of like, oh, it is the alcohol. And I think you can come up against the answer being alcohol a few times before it really sinks in and you go, it's actually the alcohol that is affecting my life negatively, that's making me not so sharp at work and that's having this profoundly uncool impact on how I behave, how I think about myself and and what I do. But once you land on, oh, it's the alcohol that's the problem, I think it's easier to then reconcile, oh, okay, perhaps if I take that out of the equation for a while and I still get my eight hours, I still go to the gym and I still have my protein shake, I might get a better um, you know, effect for myself the, the following day without the alcohol. Did you notice an instant difference when you stopped drinking on, I guess, your um, your physiology? You said mental clarity was a big one, but, you know, what are sort of those, like, I guess, tangible benefits that you can share about those early few days and weeks for your sobriety? Sure. So I am a big numbers gal. I love data. You can give me any sort of spreadsheet and I'm going to be happy to look at the numbers and just see progress in that way. (laughs) I'll show you. I've got my amazing and I love tracking my sleep. I've been tracking my sleep from way before I stopped drinking. I just found it interesting. Uh, Another, you know, really big thing that I'm into is weightlifting and I love to see the impact of different workouts on how I was sleeping and seeing when's the best time for me to work out. And if I have caffeine after 4 p.m., does that impact my sleep? So I was always tracking this. When I tell you that my Mm. sleep performance in three days, January 1st, when I'm still in the midst of that really bad post hangover, like that hangover lasted more than Mm. a few days. But even on January 1st to January 4th, my sleep performance skyrocketed. And that was after an international flight. And that's also like after you fly, you're already a bit, you know, time zones and it's hard to readjust. And I didn't, even if I didn't feel clear-minded yet, and I didn't have all this boundless energy, and I still really had these kind of low depressive feelings off the back of, you know, all of the kind of different hormonal spikes that were happening in my body as a result of drinking, I looked at my sleep performance and Mm -hmm. went, that's got to count for something. And that has really been the thing that has motivated me working on my sleep and knowing that I'm getting a full seven, eight REM cycles of good sleep versus sleeping the same amount of hours, but only getting one or two REM cycles when, you know, even one glass of wine can take that from seven to eight down to one to two. You can Mm. still sleep seven hours, the eight hours, but it doesn't matter the time. It matters how many REM cycles you're processing through. I just looked at the numbers there and I went, okay, this has to be setting me up for things and learning how to sleep better is what then allowed me to wake up earlier and do my workouts. And that was then a flywheel effect of, okay, I've done my workout. I'm feeling great. I can now make healthier decisions around what I'm eating because I'm in this just constant, I call it the yoga class mentality. If you go to a yoga class in the morning and then the rest of your day, you just feel great and you make wonderful decisions because you don't want to interrupt that great feeling and it all came from my sleep and I saw the direct correlation between not drinking and my sleep performance and that set off everything else for me 
and my body is balanced at this point. I think that's, I, the mental clarity is incredible, the lack of brain fog, the energy, but really this bit around, I can balance things. I, you know, working mm. in your early twenties in the corporate career, I was, I didn't know what a work-life balance was. I thought that I had to work 75 hours to get promoted and actually learning how to manage my sleep versus the other aspects of my life has helped me really approach and zoom out and go, okay, we can't work 75 hours a week because that's going to put us under so much stress in this way. And look, you're already doing all of this good mm. stuff over here. Let's actually think about what it means like to support yourself and not just grind all day long in the hopes of, of some outcome that, you know, your employer decides. So it's, it's been all encompassing. Nothing has not improved. I, and I say that hand on heart. That's a really good report for sobriety. <laughs> um, the idea, the idea of sleep performance, like what, a, it's such a weird thing to say we, mm -hmm. because, and, and I've, you know, I've done a little bit of study on sleep and I've spoken to a couple of sleep experts on the podcast and on different podcasts. And I, it is fascinating because it's not that sleep shouldn't be hard. Like it's, and I say this to my kid all the time because he never wants to go to bed because life's way too exciting when you're four. Why would you want to sleep? But I'm like, sweetheart, all you have to do is lie down and close your eyes. <laughs> That's it. Just go to sleep. Mm -hmm. But the idea of sleep performance is so interesting because you cannot control your sleep performance while you're sleeping. It's happening. And you can set yourself up for better sleep performance by doing certain things to make sure that the sleep quality is there, not the quantity. So we always talk about seven, eight hours and women need an hour more than men and, mm -hmm. and all of these things that we know, and they're good things to try and look at achieving. But that quality of sleep is the thing that is going to have that flywheel effect that you've experienced. And I don't think we spend enough time really digging into what that means and how important that is and even setting ourselves up for you know when you're drinking usually your sleep quality is so impacted because you're probably going to bed late you're getting up a couple of times a night whether it's to go to the toilet whether it's to drink some water and then go to the toilet whether it's to get from the couch to the bed like whatever it is so there's interruptions galore and so you wake up in a deficit and you're in sleep debt from the beginning of the day which gives you that opposite to that yoga zen feeling that you want to keep all day but when you can start getting that sleep quality down by not having the alcohol in your system interrupting all of your systems what you can also do is like Find a, a like a thing that's going to work if you do happen to wake up in the middle of the night and you're sober, which does happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like people who are overthinkers, there are, um, you know, things that are happening in people's lives that are causing them anxiety. And these are all big real world feelings that we need to deal with in sobriety. And so sometimes they can impact our beautiful sleep performance. But having like a little two or three step thing that's going to help you get back to the land of nod is going to set you back into that deep REM sleep sooner and then you're going to spend more time there anyway. So it's like it's a very complex 
system of things that happen in your sleep whilst we do nothing. Isn't that it's just mind-blowing to you? Yeah, it's mind-blowing. And I used to be someone who would prioritize everything over sleep. You know, the phrase sleep is for the wicked. I was like, yeah, I can sleep when I'm dead. No. Let me tell you, when I had that mentality, I would go to the gym at six in the morning. I would push through a workout with no energies. I would zap whatever little bit of, you know, if I got any good sleep the night before, like any energy from that is automatically gone. And then I'm just in this really craving mode where I'm like, I'm not thinking about eating well for breakfast. I just want to load in whatever I can find. And when I was in this world where I was prioritizing fitness first, nutrition second, sleep third, I was the most unhappy with my body, with my mental health. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was doing everything right because you go on social media and you're told that you have to walk 10,000 steps a day and you're told that you have to go and lift weights four times a week and then you have to go to Pilates and then you have to eat the oatmeal and the baked oats and the eggs and, you know, 150 grams of protein, whatever it is a day. No one told me to sleep. And not only did no Mm. one tell me to sleep, the people who did tell me to sleep, they just left it at that. And if you're sleeping with Mm. the addition of alcohol, you're no real, you're not really better off. And so the second I flipped it and said, sleep comes first. And if I do not hit my recovery, I'm not working out. Now my order is sleep, nutrition, exercise. If I have time to exercise because I have invested in my nutrition and I got really great sleep performance the night before, that is the equation that has not only, you know, that's really what has supported me across the last 19 months because you want to maximize on how great you're feeling in this new body, in this new mind, in this new potential that you're feeling for yourself. Mm. We even even talked about the creativity that you get off the back of all of this. Um, And yeah, so... A big, big tangent on sleep, but like sleep in any sort of sober curiosity journey, sober journey, alcohol-free journey, whatever you want to call mm. it for yourself, it is one of the absolute pillars and something that the people that I kind of help navigate sober curiosity with, I'm like, this is something that you've got to invest in. It's going to pay dividends more yeah. than you can appreciate. Yeah. And you know, another thing you just touched on too, which I love is that I think sobriety gives people the ability to lay down healthy boundaries for themselves Mm -hmm. and alcohol, um, alcohol gives us the ability to like tear boundaries apart and run over them with bulldozers. And so the idea of, okay, if I don't get enough sleep, I'm not working out. That is such a healthy boundary because again, your body is going to be in deficit if you don't have enough sleep, which means you're not going to maximize the oxygen getting to your muscles. Like if you just want to talk about the physical side of working out, you're going to deplete your resources. Yeah. And just the to have the clear mind and the wisdom to go, that's actually not the best thing for me right now, regardless of what everyone is saying on social media. Um, I'm not going to work out. That's a better choice for your health. And it sounds so counterintuitive. And I have had this conversation with, um, so I own a gym and I actually opened my gym my second year of sobriety. And it's been such an amazing community to be, you know, that became my new religion. Like I used to be a big drinker and then became a big gym person. Not that mm-hmm. I'm a big, you know, 
worker outer, but I created a, a beautiful community for people to come to to discover their health and wellness. And I had so many conversations with women who were there really early in the morning and they would drag their feet through the front door and they would look like just disheveled messes. And I would be like, how are you feeling? They're like, oh, the last thing I want to do right now is a workout. I'm like, then go home. And they're like, what do you mean? They like freak out. And I'm like, because you are not going to do the best workout right now. And I know you're chasing that endorphin rush at, at the end and you will feel good. Like no one ever feels worse after a workout. I said, but you are so depleted and you are not in the right headspace to actually work properly. And that's when we get injured. That's mm-hmm. when we end up you know, hurting ourselves or having a bad experience. So you won't want to come tomorrow because something will tick you off today because you're not you're not in the mood to get corrected on your plank today. You're going to tell me to F off because you are not in the right headspace to be here. And so my advice would be, and not always, sometimes, you know, it, it would depend on the person and, and my relationship with them and how much permission I had. And sometimes for my ladies, I'd be like, let me be your buddy today and I'm going to be kind to you through this workout and get you through. And other times I'd be like, I think that your best bet, you've your kids are at home with hubby, go for a walk on the beach for 40 minutes. Yeah. And I promise you, you'll still get the endorphin rush, but you are going to put your body and your brain and your health in a better position uh, if you do that right now. And it would really blow people's minds sometimes that my advice felt like the opposite of what they felt like they should do. But I'm like, that's not always what you need to do. And listening to your body is a skill I think that you get in sobriety on like on steroids. Like you yeah. you talked about, you know, the creativity. You also get this like new level of intuition about what you actually need in order to achieve optimum balance and and wellness and health. And I think just making a point about those boundaries and going, actually, no, even little things like, and I'm about to ask you um, how your bestie went with this whole sobriety thing, Um, but even the boundary of going, because I sometimes would go to events that I didn't want to go to, but I felt like I needed to because I'm a huge people pleaser. And I think in sobriety, I just I just got the guts to be like, nope, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going because I don't want to go. And I just started honoring what I wanted. And not all the time in a selfish way where it would be to the detriment of relationship or because um, it would be because I'm not going to show up for somebody else. But there would be certain situations where I'd be like, it's not going to be my best interest to be there and I don't want to go, so I'm not going to go. I'm just going to chill at home and have an early night and, and go for a walk on the beach in the morning. So back to my question, how did your best friend, who you mentioned earlier, who you concocted this crazy wild plan with in your imaginations um how did this how did she she best female best friend he my uh there you go i knew (laughs) yeah how did he how did he respond to your sobriety like what was that conversation like did you yeah yeah, talk me through it 
So it's so funny, and he's going to listen to this because he's my biggest cheerleader in all of this, and I'm just... He's been the most supportive person through it all, but I will be honest, I didn't tell him, nor did I tell my family about the plane ticket issue for probably six to eight months until after it happened. My bit was that BA upgraded me and how lucky am I? And (laughs) yeah, which was not the case. And here I stand admitting it. And you know what? The people who have been around me, including that specific friend over the last 19 months, I was really worried, I think at first, more around how I was going to behave around them. I was welcomed in with open arms, and I'm incredibly fortunate to say that throughout this entire process. No one has pressured me that's close to me into drinking. No one has questioned why I did this, because I think when you go down this path and you really lean into it and you embrace the discomfort that comes with it and you embrace the creativity that comes with it and you embrace and start openly talking about all the things that are happening in your life and what you're processing, a lot of people, you've given them the permission to feel things that they didn't think that they were allowed to talk about. And even if my friends are not going through their own sober, sober journey and most of my friends are not, most of my friends do still drink and I've learned how to kind of exist in that space with them. And I really don't mind. I'm not here to preach. I'm here to teach. And if you want to listen to information I've learned, great. But I'm also not going to force you to go alcohol-free, like live your life. Um, Yeah. But I started gaining a lot of this internal confidence to talk about problems like body image, like relationship problems, like my disillusion with my career and how I figured out that I had been playing to my ego for the last, you know, six years of my career at this point. And I wasn't happy about it anymore. These are mm. all gifts. Like the, the gift of being able to think that way is what sobriety gave me. But equally, it's allowed me in my immediate mm. friend group to talk about those things and invite my friends to talk about them also. And I'm really grateful that this mm. process has allowed me to kind of be this person. I'm like, I, I just don't care to keep it inside anymore. It doesn't benefit me to not speak out around what I'm feeling. And I've had the most incredible conversations with friends who have known me since I I was five years old. And they've watched me grow up. I'm 28 now. And they're Mm. like, I never knew that you felt this way because you always came across so confident. Or you were always a great athlete. And we always thought you were in great shape. It's, It's beyond to hear that you had body image issues like you never talked about it. And I never thought I was allowed to because I thought I had to be Mm -hmm. something for someone else, not something for myself. And really all this is to say is the gift of not being, you know, almost as you were saying earlier, like the people pleasing aspect, I just said, I'm not, I'm living for everyone else. I'm finally realizing that I haven't done anything over the last, you know, two and a half decades of my life to really live for me. And but I also didn't know mm. what that was until I got the mental capacity and clarity to think about it and to process it. So it's all compounding on itself. Um, and this is by no means the end of the journey. Mm. I'm going through so many different changes in, in all different aspects of my life right now. And every day, it's just so cool to wake up, have realizations, talk about them with people who have known me since talk about them with people who I've met on the internet, like you, who I'm like, how cool that we just get to invite this in and realize that we're all feeling that we all have felt or experienced things that are 
so similar and sobriety has helped me put it on a stage to tell people it's okay tell people it's okay to have feelings and to not be happy about things and also remind them that you don't have to get sober to be happy but it's a mechanism it's a tool that if it could be right for you Mm. this is available and use me use yourself use everyone else in this community as data points to prove that you can do this and you can do it at any age and you can do it in any career path and you can do it regardless of who you think and what you think your identity is like this is a option that's available to everyone if you're willing to to explore it yes i couldn't agree more and so for you then like what is i guess the physical manifestation of what you've said so like what is your life look like now these last 19 months what have you curated for yourself you know in a day-to-day sense um that you can tie back to your sobriety choice sure in a day-to-day sense i think the biggest kind of internal struggle i've gone through and also the most interesting and cool journey has really been looking at am I making a decision for myself and what I care about or am I making a decision to appease my ego and I think day on day I have had been living in a world where I woke up every morning and I went to work I have a great job and have you know, worked hard to get here. And I go, well, I'm doing this because I have a college degree in this topic and I have a master's degree in this topic. And my employer tells me I'm doing a good job. And I get positive reinforcement in the form of promotions and raises. And my entire identity I have realized was wrapped up in this pretty little blanket of I'm spending hours and hours and hours because I think I have to be doing this job because I don't know who I am or what my identity is beyond the walls of this office. And it's not to say that there's anything wrong with hard work and with throwing yourself into your job and finding fulfillment and passion through your career. And that is what I'm now moving, acknowledging that that's that's allowed and that should be encouraged. But I spent so many years not allowing myself to deviate from the career path that I was on because I felt like I had to stay on it. And so every day, what it looks like for me right now is when I'm making a decision about what the next two, three months of my career look like, I really have these exercises that I can do in my mind now of, am I doing this because I feel like I have to? Because friends have told me this is the right decision. Because society has told me, because I have a college degree, because you know I've taken courses on this. Or should I make this decision in terms of my career and how I spend? I mean, that's how we are spending the majority of our time. Should I go a different route? Because Mm -hmm. I know that I'm here to serve people in a different capacity. And maybe what I thought was right was only right because my ego told me that I had to and it was being reinforced by pay rises and promotions. I'm day to day getting comfortable with the fear of not knowing what the other side looks like. But embracing the fact that I know that that's the path I need to go down and getting really comfortable with being uncomfortable, which is something sobriety also gives you because you try going to a Christmas party and not, you know, having the champagne. (laughs) Like you just, you're in a lot of uncomfortable situations. Like sobriety tells you, teaches you how to show up, how to be, how to emote, how to party, how to like without alcohol and you can do it. And that, Mm tool has helped me in this career journey 
which is a lot about what I talk about online now and kind of tapping into your potential and figuring out what potential looks like for you. It's, it's going, it's okay to not know. And it's okay to go the other path. If you know that Mm. there's something more for you, you don't have to listen to what your ego, what your parents, what your report card is telling you to do. Like there are other options. So that's what it looks like on a day to day that manifests itself in very different thought exercises, but, um, it's confronting and it's something I, I think about every day. I love that I feel like I've got a front row seat in what is going to unfold for you over the next, you know, few months and years of your sobriety journey because I honestly, Gabriella, I you I feel like you're so switched on at 28 and I don't want to be all like, oh, I'm your big sister, but like, man, I didn't figure out sobriety until my mid-30s and I think about the last eight and a half years of my sobriety and, you know, how far I've come just as a person, even from a self-compassion sense Mm -hmm. and acceptance and so many compounded benefits that you get over years. And I just, I'm like, you're sort of at that, you know, not early stage because 19 months is still 19 months that you're unpacking and rewiring and you know looking at patterns and figuring Mm. yourself out without alcohol but man I'm excited for for what you're gonna give to people because um it's I feel like it's all in there and it's so clear to me that your passion is teaching people you know how to set themselves up for a win in life through through Mm. various avenues and I just am really excited to just sit and watch what happens because you have this really beautiful light that comes out of you. And I feel very privileged that I got to see that today. So I just want to thank you for sharing your story. Um, And I'm so glad that you upgraded yourself to first class (laughs) and got on that plane. (laughs) You know, we're still, we're still recouping. The bank account is still, still (laughs) recuperating, but you know what? Like, these are the things that, yeah, like I am so excited 10 years down the line. And I do say it's day by day and everything mm. in life is day by day. But when I tell yeah. you, I'm excited to be 10 years down the road in this and look back to that BA flight and just go, how absolutely hysterical is like that. Like, as you said earlier, it was literally me flying away from my old self. I left a little piece of me in Denver, Colorado, and just got on a plane. And even though I did not get to enjoy the flight because I spent the majority of it in the bathroom, didn't even get to use the nice lay down, you know, airplane bed and the whole thing. Like it was just such a physical representation of leaving. Like I I just flew away from that person. Mm. And it's not to say that there's not bits of her that are still there. Um, As I said, I love kind of going back to the data of it. And I'm not saying I was tracking every metric about myself, but I really think about, was I happy the day I boarded that flight? Did I feel fulfilled in my career? Did I have positive thoughts that I told myself? Some aspects, you know, in terms of relationships, I look back and I look at my then boyfriend, now fiance, and that was an incredibly bright light. It's not like everything in my Mm -hmm. old world was negative or unfulfilled. I'm it's just been this process of going, okay, I know that we can do more in all areas of life. And even the good things from my life at that point, 
especially my relationship with with my fiance Jack, like the sobriety journey has amplified it tenfold. Good things can always get yeah. better. And it's not just this process to undo the bad things to get good benefits. This is also, let's upgrade the parts of your life that you're already thriving in. Uh, there's nothing about this process that isn't going to yes. respect. Like you're just up-leveling everything you're already smashing out of the park. There's no ceiling to that. Mm. I love that, that sobriety is an up-leveler to life. Yeah. That should have been the tagline for my book. <laughs> Version two. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, beautiful. It's so nice to meet you. Before we go. Yes. Have you, I I had a hot second as a, cons, not a proper conspiracy theorist, but I've done a little bit of conspiracy theory investigating. Mm-hmm. And there is one about the Denver airport. Are you across <laughs> this? I, I'm aware of the Denver airport conspiracy it, theory. Yeah. Is it, can you, I know this is a whole different thing, but like, <laughs> is it, is Denver airport a really weird place? You know what? When you go into the Denver airport, there's this giant horse statue that greets you outside. You're not even in the terminal yet. It's unsettling. There is. It's a weird place, right? Like I haven't, I haven't been, I haven't been, but I've seen like, and I don't, I'm not encouraging people to like go (laughs) and go down conspiracy theory rabbit holes. But all I'm saying is that there's some really interesting artworks and, um, there's some really interesting things going on at Denver Airport. And I feel like what the theory is that something to do with like the Illuminati are all going to like hide under there or something. They're like the in world the basement. Ends. Is that right? Yeah, they're meant to be in the basement. And, uh, you know, the airport's always under construction. <laughs> and there's apparently all these tunnels that you can see. You know, they've had sonar, radio, you know, waves. And they can see that there's a whole ecosystem. I don't know. I'm actually going to be back in the Denver airport this Saturday. I'm flying back to the U.S. And that will be the first time I'm there since the fateful flight. <gasps> I know. And I'm kind of ready to make peace with it. Can it's a coming home? We're gonna go to the Denver airport. We're just gonna... it's a... <laughs> we're gonna be good. Can you FaceTime me when you're yeah. there? <laughs> I'll go find the Illuminati. For I want to in the rafters. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I I appreciate. We'll do it. I'm sorry to bring up the whole Denver thing. I just I don't know. I get I get curious about stuff. Yeah. I go on deep dives and then. I don't have the full story. I just know that I just think that the Denver airport's a weird place and I feel like you've confirmed that for me. Definitely. It's where, you know, weird things happen <laughs> under the floorboards and where you find out you've spent thousands of dollars out of your savings account, neither of which are good, and uh, hopefully things that never happen to anyone else. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, have have a safe trip. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you click follow so you don't miss an episode. New episodes are published every Monday. You can follow us on TikTok at Last Drinks or catch up with me on Instagram at Maz Compton. Stay curious. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.